Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 97. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading, and today, we have a special episode in which we do just that. Readers, this episode is airing for the first time on Tuesday, September 19th, which means my book, Reading People, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything, releases today. Way back in episode 84, I mentioned offhand that one day on the podcast, we would have to talk about all the fascinating things I've learned about the publishing industry and the process of bringing this book to life. A bunch of you all heard me say that and said, yes, please, I want to hear that episode. It turns out that many of our What Should I Read Next listeners are really curious about how the sausage is made. So today we're doing it. I'm taking you behind the scenes of how reading people came into being. In one sense, I've been working on this book, meaning thinking about it and researching it for years, like maybe decades, but the active work phase lasted more like two, two and a half years. I asked our newsletter subscribers to share their burning questions and they shared plenty. You all asked about agents and editors, how the book got matched up with a publisher. You had so many questions about how the cover was designed and then things like my writing habits, what I learned along the way, even where the initial idea came from. Today, we're diving into all that and more. And if you want to chime in for future episodes like this, you can just sign up for that newsletter at what should I read next podcast.com slash newsletter. Okay, let's dive in. It's hard to know where to start, so I'm going to go mostly chronologically here, and that means we're starting with a question from Hallie. She asked, did you seek out an agent or did they find you? That's an interesting question, Hallie, and here's what happened. In May of 2015, I received an email from a literary agent. He introduced himself, listed a few clients, and said, I would love to talk to you about book publishing if you're interested. This wasn't the first time I've gotten an email like this, but it was the first time I was interested in finding out more because in the past I get these emails and I do a little Googling and I archive it and it's fine. But this time I thought, oh, hmm, I can see us working together. And I didn't know why he emailed me at the time. I found out later that he represented someone I kind of knew, but I didn't know that she was working with him and had a book in the works. And Actually, it's funny. She's since become a good friend because our first books ended up being due to our editors on the same day at different houses. And we bonded over how's it going phone calls and SOS texts. I called her my due date buddy, which got a little confusing at times when people would say, due date buddy, you're not pregnant, are you? No, different kind of due date. I didn't know this, but she sent that agent Bill a blog post I had written and he started reading my writing and that led to his pitch in my inbox. And if you don't know what a literary agent does, you're not the only one. Um, but here's the scoop. Their job is to play matchmaker between author and publisher. Sometimes authors pitch their own books to publishers, but it's way more common for an agent to do it. They negotiate the contract, including the money stuff, and stay involved through the whole process until a book and even after a book gets published. Okay. Tina asks, did you always know you wanted to write a book? Okay. Tina, before I got that email, I had thought of it and I knew it was a possibility and maybe something to try, but it would be it would be a big deal and take a lot of work. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to do that just because I wasn't sure I had an idea that I felt needed 60,000 words and a year or two of my life. You have to really care about a topic to go there. Here's what I did know. I absolutely knew that if I ever did write a book, I wanted an agent. I didn't want to represent myself. So 
Bill and I talked a ton, and I talked to other authors who had worked with him. Some I already knew, some I didn't. And after all that talking, I felt really good about working together and really excited about the prospect of working on a book together. I still wasn't sure what the book would be, but I felt good about working with him. On a related note, Beth asked for my thoughts about self-publishing. I think a lot of great books are being self-published these days. Uh, Authors have so much more control over the process, and it's so much faster to do it yourself. It was not, however, something I considered here. That's because I knew, I'm calling it traditionally published for lack of a better term, but I knew that if I wanted to go the traditional publishing route, the actual editing process I would be required to go through, the the one that takes so much time and so many people, would make the book so much stronger. And I was also really hopeful that going through that process for myself, because I'd never done it, would make me a better writer for the long haul. And that was important to me. That was something I thought, if I'm going to write a book, I want to experience that part of it. Corey asked, why did you decide to write this book? How is it different than anything else on the market? When Bill and I started talking, I didn't know what my first book would end up being about. I knew I had a handful of topics that were interesting to me and also interesting to other readers. Personality was one of them. I'm a longtime personality geek and learning about a handful of personality frameworks has profoundly changed my life. I'm not being hyperbolic. I really mean that understanding this stuff has made an enormous positive difference in my day-to-day life about the big, big, serious stuff like relationships and the tiny things like how do you make a grocery list? Because I sometimes wrote about personality on the blog, and I still do, that's on modernmrsdarcy.com, people had a reason to tell me all the time that they were trying to learn more about their personalities, but they didn't know where to start. Many readers found the sheer volume of information available. In books, there are a lot of personality books, but especially they mean on the internet. They found it to be absolutely overwhelming, and they didn't know enough to tell what information was genuinely good, and which was copycat SEO-driven nonsense, because there's a lot of that too. One day I was on the phone with my agent. Here's something I didn't know about publishing, how many phone calls it takes, even for the introverts. So Bill is a fellow personality geek. So that was always fun to talk with him about. And one day, for some reason, I was telling him about how useful learning about my own personality had been to me, but also how it had been super frustrating to finally get like truly understand these personality insights about myself and others, how it took me years to actually find the good information because there's so much out there that's not good, especially on the internet. Again, I wanted a book that walked you through the basics in a way that didn't read like a psychology textbook. I didn't want to have to read 20 books to understand a bunch of different personality frameworks. I just wanted information I could understand and do something with right away. And we were talking and I thought, hey, this sounds really good. And I knew it wasn't just me who could have used that book or who could actually actually still use that book right now. And when I was describing my idea, my agent knew it too. So we hung up and we both did some research to confirm that such a book didn't actually exist and we just didn't know about it. And it didn't, there wasn't anything like it. And that's when we started putting together a proposal. This is a good time for Cheryl's question. She asks, will you please give a step-by-step of the process of getting a book published? The Big Hunks. This is actually different for fiction and nonfiction, which is something I didn't know a few years ago. If an author wants to publish a novel, the first step is to actually write the novel. And that probably sounds ridiculous and obvious, except for nonfiction, it's really different. That's not how it works. Most nonfiction, not all, but most is sold on proposal. And here's what that means. A book proposal is like writing a business plan for a book. Mine was pretty typical, so I'll tell you what that looked like, although I've heard that every agent likes to have their authors do theirs just a little bit differently. 
So what I did was write a very detailed outline explaining exactly what I would talk about in each chapter of the book. And then I had to give the publisher some idea of what it would be like to actually read the book. So I wrote the introduction and two sample chapters. And those in the proposal are not always the beginning chapters. They could write a really interesting chapter or a chapter that they already had half written, or it could be a chapter that they were afraid might look confusing or weird on the proposal. And I also had to include a whole lot of information about myself, the book's target audience, similar books that have been published, preferably in the last three years, nice things other people had said about me, and a list of people who might endorse the book when or, you know, if it was published. This proposal process was really hard, like surprisingly hard. And my agent kept telling me, yeah, it's hard. And he said that's because, except for the sample chapters, the kind of writing this takes is way different from what someone like me usually does. And it's way different from anything I would ever want to read as a reader. A proposal takes a combination of technical writing and writing that's meant to sell something. And oh, it made me want to curl up in a ball in the corner. Another reason it was so hard to write is you have to decide how to structure the book or you can't write it. And you have to decide exactly what you want to include in it. So there are so many decisions to be made and you have to do a lot of organizing. And I am not naturally talented at both those things. They're really hard for me. I was also researching a ton during this process because I had to decide what I wanted to include in the book. And I had index cards everywhere and post-it notes all over the wall as I sorted out which ideas belonged in which chapters. And many of those changed later. It was a total mess, but uh, I got through and to give you some sense of timeline, um, the idea probably came in July or August. I finished a really, really bad draft of a proposal in late September, did a ton of work on it, sent it to some people to review, including my agent and some friends who were writers, and then had it all spiffed up and in final form by mid-November. Okay. Lots of listeners wanted to know how the book found a publisher. Here's how that works. We took that proposal and my agent sent it out Thanksgiving week. And we didn't think that was a good time, but it turns out there's never a good time. There's always some holiday or spring break or school's getting out or school's getting back in or everyone's on summer vacation. So we just ran with it. We sent it out Thanksgiving week and it went to a whole bunch of publishers that we thought would be a good fit for this particular book. And then after all that excitement, you just, you wait, which kind of stinks. And you wait for somebody to read it and to express interest. And after that, we had a lot of conference calls where people from the publisher, sometimes one, sometimes like six, would want to hop on the phone and chat about the proposal. Sometimes they would ask a bunch of tough questions. Sometimes they just wanted to say hello. Sometimes they get on the phone with my agent and not me and ask him the tough questions instead. I seriously had no idea how much talking was involved in selling a book. And this was a little nerve wracking, but also a lot of fun because the people I talked to in publishing were smart and funny and interesting, but they were deciding if they wanted to publish my book or not. So of course I was nervous, especially when we started talking to some people for the second or third time. And then we were really fortunate. We started to have some offers come in. And when I say offers, it is kind of like buying a house. I mean, the analogy breaks down pretty quickly, but the publisher is offering you the author certain terms to buy your book. They are buying your book and then they will publish it. And it just takes one offer to sell a book. You say, yes, you have a book deal. When people say they have a book deal, that's what they mean. We received multiple offers, which was really nice, but it also made it really hard to decide. And after a lot of back and forth and revising of terms, like how many books do you want to write? How much will the advance be? When will they be due? 
After a lot of painful decision angst and more conference calls, I went with Baker Books. Al, back to your questions. Carrie asked about the writing process. Did the book change during the writing process? What was your routine? Where did you write? This is a great question. And yes, the book changed so much after I finished that book proposal. This is really common for the idea to keep evolving. I added topics, I cut topics, I moved chapters around, I deleted chapters. And even as we were nearing the end, after I submitted the manuscript to the editor, it continued to change. I changed some details. I added a ton of personal stories. That was my editor's biggest comment add a personal story here, add a personal story here. So many personal stories. I also changed some really big pieces. I cut one entire chapter whole, and there were two separate places where we combined two chapters into one. So the book had 13 chapters when I turned it in, we cut one, and then when we did the merging, when we were done, we had 10 chapters. And the book just got so much better during the editing process. When I was working on this in the summer of 2016, I thought, what am I doing? This is never going to be any good. Then I worked with an editor friend near the end of the summer who helped me wrangle the structure into shape and really tighten the prose. That's editor speak for saying the same thing in fewer, better words. And also somewhere along the way, someone told me there's an industry rule of thumb that a book gets 30% better from a thorough edit. I don't remember who this person was. If it was you, please tell me. And I don't know if they actually knew what they were talking about or if they just totally made it up, but it was really motivational for me. I kept telling myself that I could make my book 30% better during the editing process, not 10%, but also not 200. So the better a manuscript I turned in, the more my editor would have to work with and the better my final book would be. So I turned that manuscript into my publisher in September of 2016 and that editor kicked my butt. I mean, she is a lovely human and I adore her and I'm so thankful we got to work together. And even in advance, I'd heard wonderful things about her work and I was really excited to get to work with her. But she totally kicked my butt and I'm so glad she did. She took my decent draft and turned it into something I was proud of that actually does what I set out to do with the book. And it was that's not where it was in September. So I'm so thankful for her and for that. And if you read the acknowledgements of this or any book, you can hear the authors gush about who made it actually worth reading. Okay, about my process. I prefer to write in the mornings, although sometimes real life is hard. And if my choice was afternoon writing time or no writing time, I took afternoons. I do not write in my pajamas, not ever, because a couple of you asked that. Where I write depends on what stage I am in the process. For a while, I wanted to write in my home office, although we've moved since then, but I have photos of my wall covered with post-it notes where I'm trying to wrangle the structure into shape. For a while, I wrote from Louisville's Heine Brothers Coffee, where my laundry and dirty dishes and kids were not there to distract me. And at a certain stage, I worked mostly in my kitchen counter, standing up so that I could spread out all my pages on the largest flat surface in the house because it really helped me to see them all at once. And then I would get out my scissors and scotch tape and red pen and change up the order some so it made better sense. Okay, next question. Tara says, I am dying to find out about the book cover. I have heard that the author of the book has little to no say in what the cover looks like. Is this true? Who designs the cover and who chooses it? Does an artist design a few and then you pick one? Does the editor or publisher pick the cover? She signs this anxious in Wisconsin. I love this. Okay, Tara, I got a ton of questions about the cover, more than any other topic by far, but not a single person asked about the title, which is funny because I'd heard the cover process could be a nightmare, but mine was truly a pleasure. That doesn't mean it was easy to make those decisions because my publisher gave me good options and I couldn't always 
decide which was best because they were all good. But I never panicked because they made me feel like I was in good hands right from the beginning of the process. But coming up with a title was so hard. It was so hard. It involved so many phone calls, a lot of panic texts to friends, a lot of pacing my neighborhood in the snow because this was in winter, trying to think of something brilliant. When we finally got to the date, maybe in January or early February, where we actually really had to finalize the title, like within hours, I was freaking out. And then I had an 11th hour brainstorm and that's how we got reading people. That was not on the table until the very last minute. The original subtitle was similar to what we have on our finished cover, but it was a lot longer. We trimmed it up and they might've given us another couple days to work out the subtitle. I'm kind of glad this is all faded away. But for that title, Reading People, all the sports metaphors about scoring the goal as the buzzer sounds totally apply and thinking about how close we were to not having that title, because I really do love it now. It makes my heart beat a little faster and I do not mean in a good way. In comparison, the cover was a total breeze. That process started over a year before publication date when my publisher asked me very basic questions like, do you have any favorite colors? Are there any colors you don't want? Are there any themes or images you want to think about having on the cover? That's actually called a titling and positioning questionnaire. So it covers both the title and the cover, but they were separate processes and one came a lot easier than the other. It was the title that came first. So for that cover, my publisher asked me to send some examples of covers I liked, and what I sent them was all over the place. I gave them examples, like some really beautiful, intricate fiction books, and then some really straightforward, very plain, but eye-catching nonfiction titles. So I gave them these examples, and I told them why I loved each one I sent. And one of the books I sent was a children's classic. It was one of Rifle Paper Company's Puffin and Bloom editions, and Patty at Baker Books saw that, and she ran with it. If I didn't tell you that those Puffin and Bloom editions were a big inspiration for reading people, you probably wouldn't notice because they aren't super similar, but they do use some of the same elements. And I really love how Patty took that idea and really made it ours, made it suit reading people. That wasn't the only cover idea she sent right away, but it was one of them and it was a good one. And we continued to tweet the exact colors and exact fonts. And I really, really love the finished version. I'm so happy with it. And I'm so glad I can say that because authors aren't always lucky enough to have a patty. And I'm thankful I did. Okay. Sarah wants to know, how do they decide on hardcover or paperback? That baffles me. Me too. I don't know. I know price is a factor and I know paperback originals are a trend and paperback original means the book doesn't come out in hardcover and then come out in paperback a year later. It goes straight to paperback. Another thing I'm just now seeing, which I think is fascinating is some books are coming out this year and they're available in hardcover, paperback and e-reader versions all at once on the first day of release. Like JT Ellison's Lie to Me is an example that's fresh in my mind since it just came out on September 5th. But for reading people, I was not part of that decision. So I don't know what that thought process looks like, but now I'm super curious. Okay. Alexis asks, what surprised you the most about the publishing process? This is a great question, but oh, where to start? Cause I've learned so much, but you said the most and the biggest thing, maybe how many people it truly takes to make a good book. I was so excited about going through the editing process, and I believed that that process really made books better, but I didn't understand how many people had a hand in that, how many people would read my work and get feedback, and just how much better my book would be because of it. And 
we didn't even get into the copy editing process where they set your book up to look like an actual book that you can still run off your printer that still exists in Microsoft Word. And you see how the words lay out on the page and you check for typos and some finer points of word usage. At this point, you're not moving whole chunks around, but you're just getting the details right. And oh, God bless the copywriters because that is a difficult job. And all those people, they just do the words. That's before we get into cover design and marketing and sales teams and distributors and booksellers actually selling it in their stores. It takes so many people and I had no idea. Alyssa asks, how long did the process take from inception to publication date? She also has a nerdy librarian question. Who fact checks the content and puts together the notes section? Okay, so we're not counting the two decades I spent nerding out on different personality frameworks and making notes for my own use just because I wanted to. Um, The entire process from the idea of this being a book to publication date took a little less than two and a half years. A year to write it, a year to edit it and get it ready to print. The rest is for the ideas and initial brainstorming, the serious research and the outlining. And I always love a nerdy librarian question. My copy editor did some fact checking. I had experts on each framework fact check the relevant chapter, and I got to put the notes section together myself, and it was not my favorite. I was so glad when that part was over. Final question. Becky says, what do you wish you had known before you started? This is a good one and another hard one. I think I wished... I'd known how much of writing a book isn't about writing a book. It's about making a million decisions about shades of pink and teal and scrolly fonts. It's about not losing your cool when your space bar breaks or your file doesn't sync right, both of which happened to me and both times I might have lost my cool. It's about talking on the phone. It's about knowing when to push through and finish the page and when to take a break and walk around the block and knowing who to call when you feel like you are actually coming unhinged. Also, I wish someone had told me how much writing a book about personality would mess with my mind. When you're spending a chunk of every day immersed in the world of personality research, it's not easy to turn that switch off when you're done writing for the day. While I was writing Reading People, I spent a lot of hours evaluating the deeper meaning behind my every little move, not because that's what I meant to do, but because I just couldn't stop. Now that I'm done writing the book, I still catch myself doing it, but not as much. But seriously, I'd heard authors say that their books kind of take over their lives for a time, and I didn't understand what that meant, but I do now. Readers, My Book Reading People is out today, September 19th, and it's available wherever new books are sold. If you enjoy the free podcast every week, buying the book is a great, tangible way to support the show and to support me. Here's something else I've learned about the publishing process. The biggest obstacle to readers buying a book like Reading People isn't that they'll decide it's not for them. It's that they don't even know it exists. Would you help me spread the word? Buy the book, review it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Goodreads, add it to your to-read shelf on Goodreads or Litzy, post it on Instagram or Facebook or tweet about it. Tell a friend, tell your librarian, read it with your book club. Thanks so much in advance for helping me spread the word. To hear more about the book, don't miss last week's special bonus episode. My publisher gave me permission to read the introduction and chapter one in their entirety for you in this special episode. That's episode 96, and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts or write on the podcast site at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 96. I narrate the audiobook myself, so not only does this give you a sample of what the book is like, it gives you a feel for what that audiobook is like. Again, that's whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 96. 
Readers, full show notes for today's episode, including more information on buying and sharing about reading people, are at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 97. Readers, we have more good stuff to share in the weeks to come that don't have to do with personality. I'm talking to the pencil lady. I'm talking to two friends who throw fabulous literary dinner parties. We're doing a science fiction deep dive and more. We have such good episodes coming your way this fall. Subscribe in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a thing. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That's Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. If you'd like to post about reading people, that hashtag is reading people book. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.